Hello, welcome to the show. Dusty Wolf, you're listening to the PWZ Podcast. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to go over your career a little bit and uh, find out what's going on. And uh, I'm excited to have you here. So I grew up watching you a lot on television in the 1980s, which seems like so long ago. It was. Let's not lie to each other. <laughs> hey, I still live for those days, though. You know, well, to me. they don't seem like they were like that long ago to us. Uh, yeah. When we do the math, it was a, it was a while. Now. <laughs> Uh, it was, to me, the best era of this sport that uh, you were involved in and then I'm currently involved in. And, uh, you know, I absolutely love it. And I go back and watch a lot of stuff. I grew up in, uh, watching you in a different, couple different companies, uh, you know, yeah. several different, actually. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah. I went yeah. wherever they pay me. So. Yeah. So uh, before we get into all that stuff, why don't you talk about uh, you training? I believe you trained under Ken Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Kenny took me under his wing. Uh, late 81, early 82. I was a kid. I was still a teenager. Um, and we trained for a while. And then in the summer of 82, I wasn't even looking to actually have my first match yet. I just, we needed a ring to work out in. Yeah, in those days, the business was still protected. Then you didn't have 10 schools in the city, and you know everybody had a ring, and you could order a ring online. Well, you know, none of that. So you had to get permission to actually get in the ring. Really, truth right. And the only ring that we knew of was uh, Joe Blanchard's, and we went down there. We were going to ask for permission for me to work out in the ring, and they needed somebody for Archie Gooley to beat up on that night, and so I ended up with my first match. Well, I was like 19 years old. Yeah. I hadn't even been in a ring, it, the ring itself yet. I had been training and learning holes and so forth and so on. But, yeah, my first time in a ring was my first match. What was that like, your first thing? Ring, I, you know, I, first I, ring experience? Was it nerve-wracking or oh, anything yeah, like that? I was nervous. I don't remember it. <laughs> I, I don't. I remember being there. I remember being over. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember anything, but nothing. <laughs> it was so frightening. I was, I was 19. Yeah. You know, like a lot of guys, you know, this is what I want to do. Or I'm getting the chance to do it. Uh, yeah, I was scared out of my mind. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, um, what was it like starting with uh, Joe Blanchard in the, uh, the Southwest Wrestling, correct? Yeah, that's where I started. Yeah. Um, yeah. He didn't make it easy on me. No? No, no, there was no such thing as you, you, you just – you know, you have your payment per week and you're going to break in and become a superstar. It was none of that. Uh, they tried to run me off. Couldn't. Uh, when they realized they couldn't run me off, uh, they asked Don Carson to work with me, polish me up some. And so him and Kenny would we would work out like one day a week in the junction in the gym in the ring. Rest time, we would work out in places like an old burned-out apartment on mats and stuff. I mean, it was brutal. Um, Butch and Luke took over the book. Uh, I'd been around oh, about eight months when I took over the book. And for whatever reason, they always liked me. And Luke, after a few months of putting me on TV and a little house show here and there, called me up and said, hey, I've got, I'm going to put you on the road for the next few months. And he did. I mean, that's how I got started. It, it was, I've heard worse war stories but they, they tried to run you off in those days. If you weren't connected, you know, you were family or you were connected or something like that, you had a job. Yeah. As long as they wanted you to have a job. But a guy like me that's from the outside with no one, uh, 
And the one they realized they couldn't rub me off, Joe was a pretty fair guy. I yep. always liked Joe. Joe was one of the – there's a handful of promoters that I would tell you I liked and I would always put in a put in a good word for him no matter what else anybody had to say. Joe was one of his top end list. And not just because he broke me in. But he just he right. was, he was more fair than most of those guys in those days, yeah. Those old cards would be just what they were, old carnies. Yeah. I've heard that a lot about guys uh, <clears throat> talking to, I guess, uh, was it Reno Reagans and guys like that, that uh, they'd be tried to run off. He trained under Tojo Yamamoto, and he just tried to basically run him off by having him run in circles for right. two, two months at a time, and, yeah. <laughs> and it didn't work. Well, you know, that also made for a better product, too. Yeah. Because – it wasn't like I'm – yeah, I'm living a dream like some of these guys do today, but it wasn't like come one, come all, as long as you can pay your bill. Right. You had to you had to have a little something, even if it wasn't a lot. Yep. <laughs> there had to be something in you that you, you were willing to learn, and and uh, they protected it. They protected everything. Yeah. Did you know Tully then? Was he there yeah, still? Tully. Yeah, Tully was still around. Tully, yeah. that was the transition period. Uh, when I started, Tully was still there. He was still on top. In fact, he was booking when I first started. He was okay. the one that put me in the rain the first night. Um, and then, like I said, when Butch and Luke took the book over, Tully stuck around for a little bit. Uh, and then about four months later, I was in Kansas City, and Tully was working for Geigel. He was flying in and out for Geigel. Uh, and somewhere in that Kansas City run is when he went to Charlotte. Okay. Early '84. So I mean, I was around Tully, even if I wasn't in San Antonio. I was around Tully for the first year and a half I was in the business. What was he like in those earlier days? Tully was Tully. I mean, the stories yeah. you hear about Tully—they're true. Uh, I will always say this, and I say this every time: Tully looked after me. Yeah. And you know, since from that point forward, I would hear some of the stories, and I'm like, "That's God, I hate hearing that," because he was always good to me. Um, yeah. And then I'd see some things out of him when I worked in Atlanta a little bit. And you when know, he came to New York, and you know, I'm like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Things happen. You know, you're in an industry. This is Tully. Tully was going to be Tully, but it, he was good to me. And yeah. the bottom line, you know, 40 years later, I'm not going to say anything different. So, yeah. uh, Like you just said, you moved on to Central States after that. Yep. And uh, uh, what was that like? You got a little push over there to begin with. Yeah. Um, Buck Roby brought me in. Yep. First time. I went to Kansas City three times. Uh, the first time Buck brought me in, and whatever reason Buck liked me, and with all his demons and all the bullshit he pulled down through the years, if he had a place to work, I, I had a place to work uh, from that point forward, with, you know, Kansas City. And uh, Kansas City is a great place to learn. Yep. You are not going to get rich in Kansas City. You were not going to get, unless you were Harley Race, you weren't going to get some kind of international fame or anything like that. You weren't, you weren't going to become a huge star. But you were working every night in front of people and learning not just moves and holes. And you were learning psychology. And you were learning that the same thing didn't work every time and, and the same crap. You learned how to work. You had to. Kansas City was perfect for that. It's cold. I hated it in that, you know, in that respect, but you know, I'm from South Texas. We get like five days of freezing weather, and that first winter I was up here, I didn't see the ground. It was snow, and I was I was completely out of my element on that part. 
But as far as the business goes, it was a perfect learning ground for a young guy. Were you there in the during the Brody and the Flair incident mm-hmm. in Central I was, City? I, I didn't. Was it was in St. Louis. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't work that night, but I was there because it was you know one of those things where you're young and you go and you show up just in case there's a no show. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was there. That happened. You know, the whole idea of the Brody took the belt, left the ring with the belt, and took the photos. Mm-hmm. And Japan was taking the photos of him, and uh, Geigel and O'Connor were losing their minds, and and then Harley's like, ah, "We got TV." What are you worried about? You know, and so, but yeah, it happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. What about um, you and Ken Timms walked out on the Southwest when Embry was Booker? Is that well, I didn't know we were walking out. To be honest with you, uh, Kenny did. Yeah, Eric yeah. was over the book. I had come back from Kansas City. I'd been home about a week. Right. And Kenny called me over to his apartment and he says, "I'm looking to leave. Memphis wants a team." Uh, they're interested in bonds, but Eric doesn't want to leave because Eric had just taken the book. Yep. And as far as I knew, this was an opportunity to go to, you know, go to Memphis. Who at 20 years old with no connections isn't going to go to someplace like Memphis in 84? Right, right. In 89, you had to be crazy to go to Memphis. But in 84, they were still paying a little bit of money, and they were still, you know, Mid-South was still seeing some crowds and that sort of thing. And so I'm like, I'm ready. And, uh, you know, during the, it was like a, we had like a month from the time he talked to me to the time we started. And in that month, I found out that there was a lot of heat between Kenny and Eric. And, right. Uh, when they say we walked out, we really didn't because they knew we were leaving. They, Kenny gave his notice. I wasn't working in the office. I was just picking up a shot here and there for him. Uh, I was I had someplace, oh, Calgary. I had talked to Stu. Okay. And Stu hadn't given me a date yet, but he was like, well, I want to bring you in. And that's what I think. So, I mean, there was things going on, but, you know, Memphis is definitive. I bleached my hair. <laughs> but I know for a fact Kenny gave his notice. Okay. But I didn't know that there was heat until like halfway, like I said, like I had that month. But halfway through that month, I realized there's a lot of heat here. It's not just business that I've taken over the book and I don't want to leave. And then when we walked into Memphis, our first day at TV, I realized just how heavy the heat was when Eddie Marlowe walked up and says, where's the belts? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And Eric had called ahead and said, we stole the tag belts. And they weren't going to keep us hired if we didn't turn the belts in. And we're like, we don't have the belts. You know, Eric and Dan Greer, Dan Greer is when it took Kitty's place. You know, Eric and Dan Greer were wearing them last week. Right. We don't have them. And we went back and around in a circle like that with Eddie Marlin and Jarrett came over and talked to us for a minute. And he says, well, I'll call Eric back tomorrow and went ahead with the TV like it was supposed to go. We went ahead and made Nashville that night and so forth. But yeah, that's how deep the heat was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Did you end up working with Embry at all ever in Texas? I mean, for world class, I'm sorry. No, he made sure of that. Yeah. Yeah, Eric blocked me every chance he got. Uh, he got me fired in Puerto Rico one time. Not that I wouldn't have been fired anyway. I mean, but I wouldn't have been fired. Then. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Eric held a grudge. And all I ever did was just try to make a living. Right. I got I got uh, three retrievers. So That's, that's all right. You're good. <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, Eric held a grudge against me for the longest time. Yeah. And I guess got to where I just wouldn't speak to him. I wouldn't get, 
Uh, has it ever been resolved over the years? No, decades? I don't care to. I haven't been in the business for years now. I'm not going back. I just know. Yeah. He's not in the business. So, I mean, if, if he wanted to find me and say, hey, I'm sorry for being such a prick and costing you money all those years ago, he's more than welcome to. No, yeah. I accept the apology. All I was trying to do, I was a 20-year-old kid, 21-year-old kid trying to. Trying to make a living. Yeah, I had a newborn. I was. I was oh, yeah. yeah. And then, like I said, he got me fired in Puerto Rico. Uh, he made sure that I left Dallas. Uh, he kept me out of uh, Pensacola one time when the bullet was going to bring me in. Okay. And Eric started helping him a little bit for coming in and out. He wasn't even really there all full time, but he was in and out a little bit. He kept me out there. So, no, not Pensacola. Uh, was Alabama? Yeah, it was somebody else that was in Alabama. It wasn't Fuller. It was somebody that was right after Fuller. I know, jeez, uh, I'm looking at my notes here. I know you guys went to Florida. I'm trying to. We went to Florida for Eddie Graham right after Memphis. Yeah. What was it like being there and then uh, being managed with uh, by Oliver Humperdinck? I love the territory. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 the longest trip you have is Miami. You know, coming from Texas where every trip's two, three, four hundred miles, and you go to a place like Florida and the longest trip's 200 miles. It was yeah. for me. Um and of course, Florida's got that history. Yep. You, you still had Eddie Graham at the time. Eddie didn't commit suicide until we le I left in November. Kenny didn't leave for another two weeks or three weeks after me. And that was, and then Eddie Graham for what, was January when he killed himself. So, you know, six months. Yeah. Uh, was, Eddie was still there. And I was, that was a learning tree. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you had to catch him sober. But when you catch him sober, it was just a fountain of information. Dory was pretty good too, as long as you could follow. The winding road sometimes with Dory because he would he would start talking and he would drift off over on something else and he would come back to what he was talking about and but if he could, when he was focused he was you know, he was another tree of information so to speak yeah and, a legend a learning yeah. tree yeah. yeah I had both of them learning trees was, you know and then you had Hump he knew how to run that. and for whatever reason Gordon Sully liked us and so you know I had quite a few guys that would sit down and talk to us. And, Help, you know. At this point, I'm still a young kid. I'm still learning. Kenny's carrying me. There's no place about it. What was it like working with uh, Gordon Soli uh, out there? I always thought Gordon's the best there was. Uh, you're 100. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, I think he's definitely looked at as the greatest announcer of all time, and yeah. there's very few who will uh, argue that. But he's definitely up there. For me, the only one that can hold. Any competition with Gordon would be Lance Russell that I know personally, that I've worked with or around, that sort of thing. And I've known yeah. some things. I mean, Steve Stack was good. Um, JR, you know. Oh, it's great. Guys. Yeah, they were great. But, you know, to me, Gordon's, Gordon's the, the gold standard. Yeah. And you could learn so much from just talking to him. Yeah. You Absolutely. Him the evening. You had to catch him once the evening came around. He'd had a few, too. And it was another one that would get into the bottle. And, and if you caught him before about 8 o'clock in the evening, you can learn so much from him. After about 8 o'clock, wow. just, just talk to Gordon and have fun. Wrestling fans, promoters, wrestlers, and anyone who enjoys pro wrestling now have something new to be excited about. The Wrestling Fans International Association, the WFIA, is back. WFIA is an association that exists to promote, grow, and support professional wrestling throughout the world. Membership is free. 
Your membership includes a free digital bi-monthly publication of the Wrestling Fan News newsletter, association updates, voting privileges, and much more. Please go to thewfia.org, that's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org, and become a member today. Uh, of course, you went and worked for the Savoldis in 1985. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked off and on. Yep. Mario's another one of those. Other people may talk about anybody, but Mario's another one of those I put on that Joe Blanchard list. Yeah, I had him on this uh, podcast about a month ago, and I got to tell you uh, what a great guy he was and what a great conversation that is. It's, uh, he was awesome to talk to. Yeah, you, and you realize, you know, he's been in this his entire life. Yeah. And Angelo Good. was a, figured in huge in some places. And, you know, Mario never actually worked in the ring, but where he existed in the business, amazing in some respects. Mario has treated me decently too. I mean, there's a, he's like I said, he's on that Joe Blanchard list. I've got nothing bad to say about Mario. Yeah, uh, he's obviously, or I don't know if you're aware, but he just started his own streaming network on, really? uh, yeah, on the oh, Roku. Yeah, that, I saw that the other day. I yep. should, yeah. Yeah. it'll be advertised here on this program. Um, okay. They are, I'm telling you, man, there's some really great footage up there. So you'll probably be on some of that footage. Oh, on that. yeah, I know yeah. I have to be. I was. Yeah. we went in there early '85. Yep. Yeah, uh, me and Kenny went in there until '86, mm-hmm. and I went in and out after that. Uh, one of the questions, '90 or something like that. I mean, I was in and out there a little bit. Yeah, when I ask you about teaming uh, as part of one of the equalizers, yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. last time I had with him. Yeah, yeah, I just had um, Mike Williams on the program, who oh. was Zip. Zip. Yep. He, uh, I got to tell you uh, the the amazing stories that that guy had. From global to working mid south and all these great, uh, you know that I mean I literally just hit record and he just went, you know, and with yeah, some great stories. I'm sure he loved it. I, yeah, I used to yeah. used to stay at his house whenever we were when I'd be working in New Jersey, Savoli and those guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew him since he broke in. Um, yep. And he used to have uh, Johnny Rotten, Mike Durham was his roommate. Yep. And, you know, that was a house full. It was the three of us at that. You know. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. I, I always thought a lot of Mike. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I liked him a lot, and uh, I still keep in touch with him since recording that podcast. Like mm-hmm. I got to tell you, man, he is uh, a hell of a guy, and his stories were, like I said, really amazing. So, well, some of the guys that were around, we we didn't think a lot of it because they were there, and we were there, and it was our job, and so when you look back and you realize who some of the guys were that were there, um, yeah. It, the stories might not be so great then, but who they became makes the stories. That makes sense of what I'm saying. Right. You know, because they they stuck around, they became somebody, and then you have, you know, I wouldn't call it a blackmail story, but you have a good story. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. It's it's amazing some of the people that passed through those East Coast Indies during those days. Uh, if you're, I mean, everybody went through. Savoldi's group, no matter, you know, just about everybody. And it's just, um, I grew up a huge fan. I grew up in Connecticut, or I still live in Connecticut. But, you know, it's once I discovered that program, it was one of those shows that I was instantly hooked on. Forget watching WWF on Saturday mornings. I wanted to see ICW, you know. it's uh, It was an amazing show to watch. And the, the talent that would exactly. come through there, man. Yeah. You may not ever see them again, but yeah. it, it was... Yeah. That whole scene during that day, those days was like that. 
Yeah. Yeah, it really was. But Savoli had the TV wrapped up. He had a huge TV network at one time. Yeah, he was on um was it one of the sport sports channel? Yeah, sports, sports, sports channel. channel. Yeah. In those days TV was still syndicated and he had a list of syndication stations at one time that was like second only to to uh, Vince in Atlanta. It was wow. Unbelievable the, the number of stations he had at one time. Yeah. He had affiliations with uh, World Class and uh, AWA and stuff like that, so he would bring a lot of those guys in and in and out as well. Yep. And he would he brought the and that's funny because it's like uh, the AWA obviously being a Midwest territory, but they 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 came to Connecticut because of Mario. Mario, it was like a split show kind of. You know, it was kind of amazing to watch. Yeah, I was on one or two, and really? that was about the time that I went back to Kansas City, or I went I went somewhere. It was eighty five. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm on the first one or first one, first two, and then they worked together for a little while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, why don't you tell me uh, about coming into world class? I understand that uh, Bruiser brought you in, Brody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Brody. Brody's another one of those outlaws. For some reason the outlaws liked me. I like the outlaws. Uh, my wife would tell you what that's about, but I don't believe her. But <laughs> anyway, um, Brody was one of, like Robley. You know, these guys were outlaws. But we got along. Right. We understood each other. And he picked up the phone one day and he just he calls me and he says, I'm booking Dallas. You want to start in on some shows? And I'm, yeah, of course. I'm not working anywhere right at the moment anyway, outside of you know some independent stuff. Um he said, I don't know how much I can get for you as far as work, but I will see to it that you're working every week somewhere. And I'm, I'm good. You know, you've always been good to your work for me before. And that was the end of 86, January 87 at the latest. And I stayed until he left in about April. Okay. May, April, late April, early May. Yeah. And then when he left, uh, Gary Hart took over and everyone far behind. And Gary and I didn't get along in those days. We did later, but we didn't get along in those days. And when about the time that Gary left, I'm like, well, I'm go back to Dallas a little bit. Even though I was working for New York, some I was only working part time. Eric's there, and so I didn't go back to Dallas until like the USA, w, uh, USWA or whatever they call it, the global. After global that, was uh, the late, the last one to run there. Yeah, when it was global. Yep. USWA ran there too, but then global right. was after that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. You were supposed to be. Uh, now I spoke with Mike Williams, and he was uh, the uh, the final opponent for Mike Von Eric, but you were the, the last scheduled opponent. Last scheduled opponent. Right. It was. Yeah, that didn't happen. What was uh, it? Yep. Friday night. Yep. Sport tour, TV. Yep. What was that? Uh, what was that? Uh, what was the, I guess, what was that like? And how did you feel about that? Uh, was it uh, very shocking when you were there uh, during yeah. when that happened? The Friday that everybody was looking for him, there was no shock or anything because nobody found him yet. Yeah. So far as anybody knew, he was just drunk, stoned, uh, mad, broke down on the side of the road. We didn't have cell phones in. So, I mean, but nobody knew. Yeah. Uh, that night, I ended up working with whoever I ended up. I don't, couldn't tell you to save my life today. Um, and then I worked Saturday wherever spot show Brody had me on. And then I came home Monday. I came home Sunday. And I was supposed to be home until whatever Wednesday show it was, and there was no work. I mean, so as I had some time off, I didn't know anything yet. Um, Brody calls me, I need you in Fort Worth tonight on Monday. 
so you know, I drop everything and I go. And when I walked in the door is when I started hearing about how he committed suicide. So that's when I found out. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have any internet in those days, and right. I wasn't high enough up high enough up the ladder for anybody to worry about calling me and telling me anything about Mike Von Eric. But you know, that's the way it worked for me. Is he was supposed to be there Friday? I didn't know anything about it until Monday when I walked into Fort Worth, and uh, shocked. I can't say I was shot because I didn't know Mike. Right. I knew the other one, Eric, so I know Lance well. Uh, I knew Kerry. I knew Kevin. I had met David, but I didn't know no David. I didn't know Mike, so there's nothing to be shocked about. In fact, in those years, it was almost like you knew when you heard one of the boys' names if something bad was going to be attached Right. You know, like 88 through 90, 87 through 91, those few years there, it was just like one thing right after another. Uh, even before that, you know, David died in 84. So, right. you know, the last half of the 80s, it was just like if you heard the boy's name and something was going to be dark, it was going to be attached to it. So, yeah. Shocking? No. No. And uh, Carrie died in, I think, 93, correct? Yeah. Is that about right? Yeah. 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 Uh, you were very good friends with Lance, I understand. Yeah, we've always been pretty close. Uh, yeah. we, we we lost contact for a little while, just like yeah. you know, all the old guys do. Uh, I haven't talked to him in about six months, but we usually hear from each other at least once, twice a year. Uh, he's still got that traveling bug, and he'll be in Mexico for six, eight months working for whoever he's working for, and then he'll be in the Caribbean for a year, and then he'll go somewhere else for a while. He just doesn't settle down. He's a vagabond. He was always he was always just a sweetheart. He was, yeah. he kept that office open longer than it would have been. Really? Oh yeah. I mean there was nights he was working two and three times because the other boys were hurt or stoned or both. And, I think at one point he was the only Von Eric yeah. there at That's one point, if I remember correctly, from watching on TV. Yeah. And there were times where they were still advertising Kevin because Kevin could still make the towns. He wasn't, he hadn't lost his foot yet or anything of that nature. You know, he wasn't shooting himself in a, in a cow pasture or anything like that. You know, so yeah. you still had Kevin. He's had Lance, but Kevin just didn't show up. Yeah, I've heard that, that there were nights that he just wouldn't. Just didn't even show up. He yeah. couldn't drive 70 or 80 miles to some of the towns. And you know, so Lance is in, ends up working his, and then he has to take Kevin's spot. And he, he, if it wasn't for Lance, they might have had to shut down bef- before they sold. I, uh, you know, the funny thing is that you mentioned that in watching uh, on television growing up, you could definitely tell there's like a dark period for that company by watching. If you watch on TV, the Sportatorium was way less filled from a television standpoint than it was probably like a year or so prior. And that's just, you know, some kid watching it on television and the crowd seemed sort of dead and the talent was definitely not all there, you know? Well, you'd lost the birds. They had left. Yeah. Um, then you had Devon Erickson. If they weren't injuring themselves, they were, sadly, they were dying. Um, yep. Gino's dead. Yep. Chris is in trouble. They didn't have anybody. I'm not going to draw a crowd in Dallas. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's be honest. Brody was, by the time you're talking, Brody had been killed. And even if he had, or close to it, yeah. getting into that time period, and, and you can tell he was experimenting with big guys like Jeep and a couple others during the time he was booking, trying to get, trying to get right. anybody over that he could draw with. Yeah. So. 
I think it was, I always thought that was a very interesting era for uh, for the company. I, I watched it a lot, like I said, on, as a kid, and I think Al Perez was in there, right? As yeah, a champion. Al's, yeah. Al's great talent. Um, yeah. Who was it they had to work with? It's a good question. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That's the key. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh speaking of Lance, did you read his book that yeah. came out? It's amazing. It is right. Yeah. yeah I've uh for that. What's it? oh yeah, that you know what? You're right. Yeah. I've uh become very good friends with Vinnie Barry uh over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, the guy. I've only talked to him in the context of putting together Lance's book, but he was always really almost too nice. Yeah, such a thing. I mean, especially when you've been around the wrestling business as long as I have. But uh, yeah, Lance, I'd, I'd like to go see Lance. He's always inviting me. I don't know if he ever hears this. It's just, it's just the truth. Getting away is the problem for me. For yeah, any period of time, I teach on six different campuses. That's I'm gonna ask you about that. Yeah. But yeah, I've been trying to get Lance to come on this program. I've had Vinny reach out. I've reached out, and uh, to no luck. So. <laughs> He you know. is a little reclusive now. Yes. He is, and one way I don't blame you because there's still people to this day that talk all kinds of trash about him because of this, that, and the other bullshit, which is what yeah. he did because all of them are fake Von Erics. Well, you you do have a point there, but I was always a fan of his. I and and part of this he was in over his head at that time. Yeah, to be honest, he was not a great yeah. hand at that time. Uh, I was still learning, but I was carrying him. Uh, at that point in time, yeah, Three, four or five years later, when we're touring the world, we were tearing the place down because I didn't have to try to worry about getting him over. He was already over. I knew how to work by then as a heel. Really, he knew how to work as a babyface, and he was not afraid to sell like the, like the cousins. The cousins were allergic to selling, um, <laughs> but he he was in over his head, and he still yeah. kept that place open for a little while. Yeah. I mean, he had a great look and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I guess they sent him to Portland to train or to get used to working and stuff like that. He wasn't very good in the beginning, but, you know, after a while, he was very, very good. Like you said, voice. yeah, you know, yeah. you're working two or three times a night, five nights a week, six nights, sometimes seven. You're going to learn. Yeah. Yeah. He had no choice. Available on all streaming platforms, it's professional wrestling's greatest, largest, privately owned wrestling library. All the classic hits, flips, slams, and pins of yesteryear are on one place. It's Ultimate Classic Wrestling. Check out the Nature Boy Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Mr. USA Tony Atlas, Tito Santana, Rick Martel, a who's who of professional wrestling's greatest spotlight stars ever to grace the squared circle all in one place. Grab the best seat in the house for memories and mayhem on Ultimate Classic Wrestling. When did you join the WWF? Was that 1988, 87? 87? 87. What was that like? Uh, what, what what got you up there working with? Uh, Terry Garvin. Terry Garvin. Okay. I've heard that quite a bit from people. Uh, about people, you know, any, a lot of guys I talk to. But uh, what was, I hated what happened to him, but he did it to himself. You know, yeah. But he always treated me well. He always yeah. would find me when there was work available and so on. So. What was your uh, first experience working up there? And uh, was the what was the, was the pay difference quite a difference? Yeah. I've heard that it's 
Yeah. I've heard it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was making as much in one night as I'd been making in a week in some places. I've heard that sometimes. That's not even that's not even an exaggeration. You know, my guarantee in those days was two fifty a night, and you only worked three days in Dallas and you made two hundred. Of course, that wasn't horrible for me because I was only just you know four hours south. Right, I didn't have to try to keep up two homes and stuff. But in places like Puerto Rico, where we were doing what we considered decent business, making seven eight hundred dollars a week. Yeah, I'm making that one and two nights in New York. So, what was it like? Um, who who else did you were you working in there that you particularly cared about working with that you liked? Did you work with like Hennig and? Uh, I worked all of them. Work, Rick. Yeah, I worked. If they were there from '87 to '93, unless their name was Andre or Hogan, I worked with them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Every last one. I I didn't miss anybody. Uh, and the, the ones that were the great workers, the ones that were easy to work with or fun to work with, are the usual suspects, the guys that you would think, you know, Hennig and Janetti, Sean, DiBiase, Tito. Uh, Tito was tremendous. Uh, Rick Martel, probably the most underrated baby face ever in the rest of the I, I don't understand how he doesn't have, like, this big following or, like, you know, like a lot of, like, he doesn't do any of the convention circuits. or He doesn't need you know, it. No, well, yeah, I, I, he probably doesn't. But Unless he's, he's not bankrupt since the last time I spoke to him. He doesn't need it. Rick Martell at one time owned yeah. whole sections of Montreal. So he was doing pretty oh, he's doing smart business-wise. Yes. He was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, what about working with guys like Demolition out there? They were, I mean, you, you knew you were just going to go out there and sell for them. Yeah. They were both, they were both professionals, so I, I had no – never had a problem working with them. I knew it was over in two or three minutes. I wasn't going to get anything in because they, that was their gimmick. Yeah. And I also knew those two weren't ever going to hurt me. Yeah. I did. I never have to worry about that. If I got hurt with those two, it was something I did. So. Uh, did you ever go on the house show circuit for yeah. them at all? Yeah. 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 I, made, uh, I made the, let's put it away. I started, when I started, I was just TV and a fill in here and there on the house shows. Uh, by the time 89 rolled around and I had Zeus, I was every night. And there were times during that 87, 88 time period that I was every night. And then there were times where I didn't hear from it for two or three months. Really? Yeah, until 89. And then 89 through early 92, they kept me really busy. Really did. Mm -hmm. Early 92 until I left in 93, it slacked off just right back down. Back downhill about as quickly as it went uphill in 87, 88. Yeah. Right. Uh, tell me about being assigned to travel with Zeus and Tiny. It was a Tiny Lister, correct? Tiny Lister, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, I've told the story before. It was it was a job, first of all. Yep. Uh, and it allowed me to get paid every night. Um, I, the only thing I was doing that I hadn't done before was taking care of two people. Because he had no clue how to get in and out of the buildings. He had no clue about just the, the rhythm of traveling that goes right. the road, especially in a, a time period where you may be on the road 12, 14, 15 days. He didn't, he didn't know. Was he expected to? I mean, uh, because he was kind of a Hollywood actor coming in. Which is, which is what my job was. Yeah. It was like, we don't even expect you. How could you, how are you going to put all that off on a guy 
that's never really trained in the business expect right. to carry carry a spot in front of the spotlight and then get from Flint, Michigan to Fresno, California, from Fresno, California to Denver, Colorado, Denver, Colorado to Miami, Miami to Charlotte, you know, that sort of routine. How are you going to expect him to do that too? Mm-hmm. And keep track of the cars and the hotels and the flights. We had to. We had to learn. We had to learn quickly. And then, so I just took on doing it for me and him both. Was there anything interesting, any interesting stories that happened with traveling with? Uh- he was. He was testy with me in the beginning. Uh, and he was testing. When I say testy, it was not just the attitude. He was testing me also to see yeah. what I put up with. And then one night we were in uh, Newfoundland. And I'd had enough. And I offered him outside. And he didn't follow me. And that was one of the most grateful moments in my life. Uh, that he didn't follow me. That was because I'm like halfway to the door and I'm like, I just offered a man six foot six and three hundred pounds outside. What was I thinking? But he he had pushed me to that point. Right. And he admitted it. That's why he wanted to see what my breaking point was. And from that point forward, we never had a problem. Right. We never had a problem. Uh, a lot of guys didn't like him. And that created some issues sometimes. I'd have to run almost like an arbitrator between right. and some of the guys because in, in one way I completely understood here a guy just walks in and gets a top spot that you've been busting your ass for for 5, 10, 15 years. And right. so, I mean, I, as, as one of the boys, I understood that. But then as one of the boys, I also understood that he was creating revenue for the office too. He was making so much money for the office at that point in time. They added a pay-per-view for just for him. To let him work with Hogan one more time, yeah, uh, he was he was selling that much merch. He was he was business, and and I'd have to remind a few of the guys that your checks are solid right now because of, part of it was because of him. You know, we're, yeah, we're busting our asses, and he's just walking in, but he, he's not doing anything you wouldn't do. Right. Anybody would probably jump at that opportunity exactly. to be in that spot. Yeah. Yeah. So I played arbitrator, you know, arbitrator a few times in some disputes. And, you know, he'd put me outside and so and so's being a real, ah, what do I need to do? And I'm like, let me, the only one I didn't uh, talk to ever was uh, Dynamite. Because I knew what that was going to end up in. And I just didn't need it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but everybody else that had ever given, you know, I'm not going to name names because a couple of them are still alive. Um, but they wouldn't give me some shit. They really did. And I would pull him off the side and, you know, don't kill the golden goose, so to speak. You know, the, yeah. You know, it, it, if we get to the point where he's not drawn and they're keeping him around and whatever, and whatever, then it's another story. But right now, he's, it's not just me he's making money off of him. You know, everybody. Right. When the company's making more money than yeah. you're making more money, kind of yes. a thing. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, um, and then that just wrapped up. I mean, you know, they did the what the pay per view with the steel cage and the uh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and then it but just um, that night the, the pay per view. Yeah, uh, he called me off. Sue's called me off the side. Said, "Hey, come here. You know, they're, they're all making me an offer. I want you to listen in." And I'm like, "It's not my business. I've never listened in to any of your deals before." Uh, he says, "No, but I always run by you anyway, so you might as well just be sitting here." So I went in, and then, then Pat was like, "Oh, okay," and they offered him. A full-time gig. Uh, he wouldn't have to be working with Hogan anymore, but he'd be on the road just like the rest of the talent. Uh, 
told him that they would keep me booked to make sure he could get around until he figured out how, you know, a year or so, whatever time period they were going to discuss. But so right. around for a while, that was the term, a while. Um, and they couldn't make him any guarantees like they had in the past, but he would be making some, some serious money because he was seriously over. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is, is maybe he'd have got exposed and not been so over, but he didn't want it. He didn't like the road. He hated the road. And uh, the money's the only thing that kept him on the road. I'll be honest with you. Uh, there were times where he spent the, the entire time he was in the hotel room on the phone with people back home just because he just was homesick. He, right. wasn't, he wasn't going on the road. At the end of the day, he wasn't going on the road. But the office offered. They, you'd made that. So they, it saw something in him that maybe he can continue for a little while longer. What do you think that he could have improved over the time and 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 uh, been a bigger star there, or he would have been one of those flash in the pan type uh, gimmicks? Not to talking bad, you know, like would it have been over after the Hogan promo uh, program? Had the office protected him? Yeah. And part B, had he been willing to learn? Now, he was willing to learn what he needed to do for the Hogan match or the tag match. Right. I know I was there. I was, yep. I was part of the group was making sure they got it right. Um, but there was more to learn. And had he been willing to do that and he'd been protected in the, in the meantime, he could have been a force for a couple of years. Either one of those two don't take place. The office doesn't protect him. They, you know, they get mad about something. They get tired of being invested in him, and they quit protecting him. Or he decides he's not learning. Then no, it wouldn't have lasted. I mean, we've seen it a lot with uh, certain guys that come oh. in, and you know, they decide it's not uh, working, or they don't like what's going on, and then next thing you know, they're off a of TV. Right, and are they, yeah, or they do worse. They quit protecting them in the ring, and they expose them, and kill their ability yeah. to do anything else anywhere else. Yeah. 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 Uh, when did you leave there? 93. 93. You did some work for Herb Abrams, right, after that? Right about that time I was leaving. Right that yeah. last year I was there, when I said it was the bookings to start sliding off, you know, uh, I made about four or five shots for him. Yeah. Have, did you ever encounter Herb himself? Not beyond just walking up and saying hello to him or him walking by and saying hello and yeah. Uh, in those days, I thought this is such a happy, low lucky guy. He's always got a smile on his face. You know, and he, <laughs> when you hear the stories, you know why he always had a smile on his face. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't know anything about Herb. I always dealt with the people that worked for him. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize. Did he have that many people working for him? He had like two. Okay, I don't remember their names to save my life today. Honestly, I yeah, I know that there was one guy that uh, he was on that Dark Side of the Ring episode uh, that was claimed to be really good friends with him. I can't. He's an older guy. I don't know about his friends, but he, he had a couple yeah. people work the office for him. Yeah. Did you encounter anybody like Bruno or John Tolos while you were there? Bruno, Bruno, yeah. I, Bruno was still working for Vince when I started, and then Bruno, oh, okay. yeah, and then Bruno was. Uh, he made a few dates for Savoli, and he made a few dates for. We just talked about him. Uh, Abrams. Uh, Abrams, yeah. Uh, I mean, so I crossed paths with Bruno a few times until oh, 92, 93, and then I never saw him again. Yeah, I think that's when he just left and was kind of fed up with everything, didn't want anything to do. Yeah. Uh, what were your experiences with Bruno? I mean, did you, I mean, you grew up in a different area, so you probably didn't, you probably didn't have the same impact on you. Yes and no. Because yeah. I grew up a wrestling fan and 
growing up a wrestling fan, that means you read Bill After. And so, you know, every time you picked up a Bill After mag, Bruno was there. You you pick up a Napolitano mag, Bruno's right yeah. there. You know, so I knew Bruno. I knew he was a big deal. Uh, I, he was a good man. I, yeah. He was full of himself. You know, he, really? Yeah. I mean, and if I hadn't made as much money as Bruno had in the, in the amount of time Bruno made and, and done some of the things Bruno had done, I might have been worse. Be honest with you, but yeah, he couldn't. He could not let go of Kayfabe. That was the one thing. It, we, like us, the boys in the back, and even then, every once in a while, it was a little, little would slip in, like he actually did win, or something like that. You know. Yeah, and I think for decades he didn't let that go, and oh. and I know a lot of guys. You know, once it was out, just kind of went with it. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He was a so, gentleman. I'll always say that about him. He was, yeah. He was one of those guys that was always very polite and made sure he spoke to everyone. And okay, the, the worst thing I say about him is he just never let go of Kayf. <laughs> he just, you know, Bruno was the champion and that sort of thing. Yeah. I, what, I mean, I think that once the WWE did that DVD on him, that's probably the closest he's ever come to coming out, uh, you know, breaking KF. Yeah, no I way. It, but. Yeah. If they did one later, which I know they did, they did one later. Yeah. Yeah, he probably still didn't. Hi, this is Bob Smith. You might remember me from my years at Pro Wrestling Illustrated Magazine. Well, now I've started a brand new podcast called The Outdated Wrestling Hour. Yes, we're going to take a whimsical look back at the wrestling figures, stars, and trends from years gone by. We're talking 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and a whole lot more. There's going to be laughs. There's going to be fun. There's going to be action. You name it. Please tune in for the outdated wrestling hour wherever you get your podcasts. Read about the Northern Wrestling Federation in the book presented by Russellville.com, the, the Pro, Pro Wrestling Fault, Volume 2. Hear the story of Roger Ruffin, the man who trained Carl Anderson, the Monster Abyss, Jordan Clearwater, Chris Harrison, Jillian Hall. Plus 45 other short stories, including Jazz, Bobby Eaton, Kamala, Thunder Rosa, Mario Mancini, Scott Casey, PJ Black, Carrie Morton, Sal Renaro, Jeremiah Plunkett, Colby Carino, Bam Bam Malone, and many others. Get your book today at Russellville.com. Russellville. It's where wrestling lives. Uh, how do you feel about that kayfabe and stuff like that uh, breaking uh, the whole entire industry being exposed and all that stuff? Uh, it's not good for the business. Uh, yeah, compared compared to today, like wrestling today, and everybody knows what's you know. So that's, the pro- that's the problem. I, 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 my idea of kayfabe is not so much. I hate you. I'm going to break you in half, and I'm going to kill you and your family, and you know all the things that the old guys used to see. And like yeah. those stories you hear about, like Dory Senior would be at the home with Mike DiBiase, and somebody would come by to fix the, the the plumbing, and he'd punch Mike DiBiase in the face and get out of my house. And you know, yeah, I, <laughs> no, I, that, I knew the people knew. Yeah. Um. But they don't have to know every damn thing it's happening that's the power of the internet that's the that's the worst part you know that's where the money was made it was not made as much with people believing everything because they didn't but money was made as you know like down here it'd be akbar or gary 
Who are they going to bring in next? I thought those guys did excellent That's jobs at what they were doing. Yeah. That sort of kayfabe. Yeah. Uh, you knew the Samoans weren't completely 100% wild, man, because you see them in tracksuits. <laughs> but you didn't know just how far that wild man was and how civilized they were because you didn't associate with them. Right, right. Uh, that level of kayfabe, when, when that level of kayfabe got lost, the ability to make money unless the, the office is completely 100% generating the income is gone. The talent being able to create the income is gone. Yeah. It has been. I mean, it's in front of you. Talent's not creating the uh, WWFE, whatever they call themselves today, and Khan uh, out there in Jacksonville and those guys. They may, they may be making record money, but they're not making it off the gate. Or yeah, it, a lot of it's just merchandise. Exactly, merchandise and their TV yeah. gimmicks and their TV sales and their TV deals and these other countries right. and so forth because they're creating a show. Yeah. And I'm not begrud begrudging them that. I mean, it's... I mean, they're able to make a living with right. them and their families. They're yeah. making a living in some cases, and, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. But the yeah. talent can't get over. And then when they leave the two big shows and they go to these other places, you may still see some good crowds in some of these independent shows, but it's not like one guy walks out and he's sold house. You know, it's not the right. punks or the lawers or Dusty or, or, or Flair or anything like that. To, you know, that that match could help put eight of the 10,000 asses in the seats. That's gone. And when that left, the business changed completely. It's just, it's, it's not only the business, it's an industry. It's a huge corporation. Yeah. Like you, said. you still watch today at all? No. About every two or three months, I'll decide I'm going to go over and I'm going to try to watch Raw. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't watch I don't, Fridays. I'm usually busy doing something with the family or, or yeah. up on stuff. And so I don't even try SmackDown. I haven't even, I couldn't even tell you what time SmackDown come on. Uh, I've watched AEW a few times and. I'll see one or two guys on there that have a little bit of talent, or I think they have a little bit of talent, or I'm like, this guy could. But then I just have to sit through those 20 minutes of vignettes and, and uh, Raw, same thing. I see a guy here or there that this guy would get my interest, but then I have to sit through all this. Oh, it's crap. Yeah, there's. there's it's working for them. They're making tons of money. Well, so I sound like yeah. a crappy old man, and I don't mean to, but. If I wanted to watch it, I'm wanting to watch some guys get out there and some guys get over. Yeah. And I know they got enough talent. They got a talent list that's almost endless compared to what it used to be. They got to fill three hours worth of programming. So there's going to be a million interviews and promos and, and uh, God knows what else in between yeah, matches. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, to me, it's just insanity because they'll just build in, you know. The TV matches are just they're they're played out a certain way as opposed to you know okay you can definitely tell that this guy lands a certain move because here comes a commercial break you know what I mean in yeah, the middle of the match it's just so, their own creativity anymore and that's another yeah. reason why the guys can't get over like right they, they can still get over they're still selling merch they're still making money but it's not like here we are you talked about my my generation in New York there's guys from that group you know Hulk Savage. Jake, yeah, that that mainstream America still remembers. 
Yeah, they're talked about every show, like every day, every show, you know? Exactly. You know, you people listen, and then you know they never really watch wrestling because once they get to talk a little bit, they never really did. But they can tell you, oh, yeah, that macho man, and they'll do his voice, you know, or Hulkamania, right. you know, or the, the guy with the guitar, you know, honky talk. You know, they remember those guys because those guys could be creative and do their thing. Right. And the last guys that were that over were the last two that were allowed to be that way. Austin and Rock. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that was I was watching uh, with the rivals, the Rock and uh, Austin on A and E. I don't know if you would watch the A and E biographies and all that stuff. And they, they do these. I haven't put mine on, so I don't watch theirs. Yeah. They filmed. <laughs> they, they, they literally did. Vince's office filmed one documentary about me, and I believe really? Horowitz. Yeah, Christmas two Christmases ago, and. Uh, Five, six months, and Lombardi, yeah, Lombardi and, and, and Horowitz and me. Okay. And that was Christmas of 2021. And wow. so June or so of 2022, I was told it was going to come out. And they're like, well, we backed it off a little bit because we've inserted one or two here or there. And uh, not yet. Paramount had my wife talking to me, and she's not quite got the timeline. Uh, and so the first thing I get told is, is we've inserted a couple of others, but you're going to be like August. We're going to start putting yours together once we get the next one or two out. Okay. Well, between that June and August, that's when Peacock took over the network. And the Peacock yeah. said, we don't want it. And so the, the, however much footage they shot of me and Lombardi and, and, and uh, Barry is just sitting on the shelf. So I'm like, I'm not putting any money in Vince's pocket. Not that's on understandable. That. Not on yeah. that one. I mean, if mine's not good enough for him, I'm, theirs is not good enough for me. I'm old enough now, and I'm not going to lose any paydays from him. So <laughs> I can afford to be healthy on that one. I didn't know about that because now I'm really interested in seeing that. It's too bad that it didn't come out. Well, I don't know. It may have been the biggest dud they ever produced. I don't know. But yeah, I did hear about like them working on a Barry thing. So it was uh, Barry, me, and Lombardi. Yeah. And, it was and, then, and I'm sure Lombardi would have been quite interesting as well. And the, he, so. I was the last one shot. That's really? Yeah, they didn't shoot, shoot. The last one that they did film on. Uh, yeah. They had already done. They had already done Lombardi, and they'd already done Barry. Uh, James Pats from the office came down, and we did a, oh, a whole afternoon down here on the Riverwalk, and right. actually filmed some outside scenes where I'm doing like a couple of poses I did before I do the do the job and yeah on the river wall and people are waving at me like they, they know who I am. <laughs> I'm like, you know I've lived here all my entire life. You don't know me, but thank you, thank you, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah we filmed it and then and uh, James Pass was a great he was a great guy. You know? He just kept me updated on everything, including, you know, Peacock said they don't want you. <laughs> I gotta tell you, since they've been on Peacock, what's it been? Two years now, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Year and a half, two years. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the, the navigation's terrible. The selection, they it took them forever to get anything. Like they don't even have the equal amount up on Peacock as to what they did have a, on their on their own network. They made money. Yeah. That's what it's about. Well, so now there's about to be the big change with their whole merger with the UFC and Endeavor. I, and stuff. That. I don't know how that's going to end up. I mean, yeah, so they're probably, I don't know if they're going to lose their Peacock deal and maybe go to ESPN Plus or what have you, but uh, it's going to be a drag, I tell you. Well, they say no changes, but I highly doubt that's going to happen. Once Vince finally does pass away, nothing will be the same. Yeah. It will be chaos. Yeah. I believe it because I think he's the only one that knows what what like how to run that company really. 
and by proxy, he runs everything else that takes place. Yeah. Whether it's AEW or Impact or OWA, even if he doesn't have his finger in the pie, so to speak, like he did with uh, Paul Lee back in the day and so forth. Right. Uh, he, he still they, they react to him. Yeah. So I mean, he's been the number one promoter for 40 years, probably. Years? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he runs everything. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, you joined WCW after for a little bit? Yeah, that was just – I was making some shows in the South. I was in Mississippi already anyway. And I had worked for him a time or two before that. You know, one of the guys in the office would call me, and can you make these – like Joe Blanchard called me to make some of the Great American Bashers one year that, when they came from Texas. And uh, – I think it was Grizz called me to make a couple other towns you know, a year later. And so anyway, right. I off and I already knew, and Terry Taylor had just gone to Atlanta and I knew Terry well. So I, I call him and he's, yeah, we can use you. I just don't know how much. And I'm like, just pay me. I know you're not going to push me. I mean, I've already, I spent six years being beat. I've been yeah. that hole for the rest of my career, whatever I do. So I'm not concerned there. Just, Pay me. And so I was in and out for that was mid 96. And I was in and out until the end of 99. I think it's probably before they. Right for the yeah, right before they took out all the enhancement, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. early 99, mid 99, somewhere in there. Yeah. The last time I did anything with them. Oh, really? That late? Wow. Yeah, you know, they had an Orlando taping in like. March of 99, June of 99, when June, it would have been like March, May, somewhere. Yeah. There. Last time okay. I did with him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about your, you know, returning to the Sportatorium and Global with, uh, with Global, excuse me. That wasn't a bad deal. Uh, no. Yeah, you, it was, they were only running the one show. And then you, at that time, you still had independent guys that had an idea what they were doing because they had worked with the territories just five, 10 years previous. Right. So you had a lot of little guys that were trying to run their own little thing, and but they were promoters. And mm -hmm. they, they were smart enough to use that global TV. So, I mean, you could make three, four, or five shows a week. And even though you're only doing the one for global, yeah, guys were using that global TV talent. And so it was a good little deal for however long it lasted, you know, that, that eight months a year, however long it lasted for me. Did you uh, encounter Joe Petticino at all during that time? Oh, he was gone by the time I got there. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess, uh, let's see, what else? You made a couple trips to Japan, South Africa, and India? I've been to Japan five times. Yeah. Uh, South Africa, seven or eight. Every year from 88 to 96, however many years that comes out to be. Okay. Uh, Korea, four times. Wow. England, three. Germany, Belgium, Greece, Israel. Let me see, I'm going through the list here. Been in the Caymans, been in the Bahamas, Mexico, obviously. Uh, Singapore, like seven or eight times for Steve Ricard. Um, oh, right. Okay. Three times. Uh, and then, you know, odd, an odd shot here and there where we like flew in one day into Pakistan, that sort of thing. And so I've been in over 20 countries. I mean, not as many as some guys have, but considering I never went on, well, I went once to England for Vince, but considering I didn't make all the overseas trips for Vince because he wasn't doing them then. Yeah, it was very rare at that time. Yeah, yeah. All my overseas trips were on my own. People look at me because it was me. Uh, did you work for, you know, Crockett when he returned to the Sportatorium in '95 for mm -hmm. under the NWA banner? 
Mm -hmm. Dickie Murdoch brought me in. Yeah. What was it like? What was it like with uh, working with uh, Crockett then? Crockett. You know, and it was a very strange time. It did, Crockett didn't impress me. Yeah. Crockett, Crockett came across to me as one of the luckiest human beings in the wrestling business ever. Really? For a man that's supposed to and did so much, he knew less than half the talent in the locker room as far as how to, to book a show and put a show together. And when, and then when you start talking to the boys that have been around for a while, you realize that his mom and his sister ran that office all those years. Yeah. They were yeah. the ones. And he always had a good booker. Yeah. They sat for one little period there in the early 80s when he was booking by committee for whatever reason. When George Scott left and he booked by committee for a year or so there, or not even that long, I think. Uh, but then, you know, you got Dusty in there. And so between George Scott and Dusty, he always had a good booker for the most part. And then he had his mom and his sister that were doing all the business. They ran the baseball teams. They, you know, they took care of all the business business. What it was was you're in that deep South and that mid Atlantic area where you, you, the women weren't going to be respected by a lot of the people that ran the buildings and ran the TVs and so forth. So you had to have a man, you had to have a man, in front of everything. Right. And that was right. Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett wasn't the first choice. Interesting. His sister's husband, uh, I forget his real name now. I know who you're referring to. I, I can't think of the name either. I'm having a senior moment. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Something like Ringley. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And all that was David Crockett's ring name. Um, anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Her husband yep. was the heir apparent. He was going to be the promoter. Crockett knew he was sick. He had the heart problems. Francis, which was the sister, and the mom were already running everything anyway. Well, the husband got caught screwing around on Francis. And so divorced him. You're out of here. And when the old man died, that left Jim. Right. Wow. He didn't know what he was doing. I'm sorry if that offends anybody. No, I believe that. I mean, because according to the reason why he sold to Turner is because he just spent more money than he had. So it kind of proves that he didn't really. He always had a good booker. He always had that, that, that sister and that mom that were just genius business people. They were. Right. There's no two ways about it. And then he always had good talent. Yeah. There was times I mean, that territory was loaded. Yeah. Guys absolutely. who were opening the show were more talented than a lot of your stars. He had everything. And then, as Flair has said more than once in his different interviews, there was the longest time they were the only game in town. I believe it. You yeah. had basketball there in the Carolinas during the basketball season and NASCAR, and that's it. So yeah. when they came to town, they were it. He had the perfect combination. Oh. But he did not impress me at all. I mean, he – it's, I'm sorry. I'm offended somebody I know, but it's the truth. It's, yeah, it, I, I get what you're saying. You know, I, I fully understand. I mean, because it's like you said, he could have just the name on the marquee, basically, and everybody else underneath. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I, like, I, I had been just within recent years worked for Vince, and uh, been around Ganya a little bit. Who was could be a prick, but he was a good promoter. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever work there outside of like we said earlier? The uh, that was it. I mean, I was around him a second. Okay, I worked for Jared, who who could be the biggest carny in the world, but he was a good promoter, right? You know, um, 
couple of other guys like that, like Carlos. Carlos knew how to promote his place. So I had been around these guys, and then I'm looking at Crockett, and you're supposed to be like this genius. And I'm, wow. He had money. He had money. He That's bought easy. every other, a lot of other NWA territories and, and combined them with his own, you know. And prior to that, he had the perfect recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, he had Dusty, who mm-hmm. did have his faults at, at, at booking at times, you know. the. Uh, but before that, he had George but, Scott. Yep, yep. And then George Scott had that great talent that was in there. And as I said a minute ago, there was no other game in town. Yeah. That's part of the reason, you know, like Lawler was so big in Memphis. There was nothing else. And if you can get the TV over and you can get one or two men over, you're going to make money because there is no other entertainment. Right. Yeah. That's uh, you're. I believe that that's one hundred percent correct. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um. So what else are you up to these days? I'm teaching in college. Yeah, we uh, were history, and I teach government. Okay. Uh, I teach on campus here in San Antonio, and then a a, a smaller campus in Seguin, which is thirty minutes outside of San Antonio. Uh, and then I have quite a few online places that I teach. Okay. You know, Southern New Hampshire and uh, the college in Brownsville, Texas, and of all places, Oklahoma City. Uh, one of the uh, West Virginia campus. And I'm forgetting somebody. So you keep them pretty busy these days. I, am. I had 10 classes this last semester. Uh, I've got like six during the summer, and I'll have like 14 in the fall. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot, but thankfully, the majority are online. Yeah, so I can get up in the morning, have my coffee before I have to go into class, and I can take care of business. And, you know, like one day a week's busy with grading. Yes, yeah. that's it as far as online stuff goes. Uh, the worst times are the beginning of the semester and the finals, <laughs> because when you teach more than one course or I mean, especially more than one place that you've got to put together all those different schedules and syllabuses and blah, 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 blah. my labs are mad. Yeah. I mean, so but I'm enjoying it. I, I'm, part of me wishes I'd done it sooner. You've written several books as well. Correct. I've written, well, I've written one and then I've written some articles that are over on Amazon. You can still, as far as I know, you can still find them on Amazon. Uh, right. They sent me a check for a few books last week, so I know something's still on Amazon. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have my book out there, and then I, I have a few articles. I have I don't have time to write anymore. I was writing then when I was still finishing my first master's. Okay. And I would I would be in a mood, and I was writing because that's what you do for a master's in history is you write, and then I, I would write something, and then something. Yeah, but, um, it's out there. Yeah. So basically, you're keeping busy. That's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, and, uh, the point I'm supposed to be retiring and going fishing, I'm working harder than I ever did. I'm, I'm not digging a ditch or anything, but you plan on retiring, or are you just going to work I until? Can't. I'm a married man with children and grandchildren. Well, <laughs> 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 and my wife's a lawyer, and so she's got her nonprofit going uh, for abuse survivors. And so, even if I decided I was going to retire from teaching, I'd end up helping help run that for her and so there's no retiring there they'll just well, i'll be in front of class one day and just boom. <laughs> we leave out all right next i mean that's all that's that's all i know yeah yeah so i do want to ask you what the fuck is dale wolf exactly i got <laughs> i saw your shirt 
I got the ball cap. Oh, nice. And I've got the shirt. I don't have the shirt on, but I've got the shirt. I can only wear it in selected places because you know, it gets you in trouble otherwise. But yeah, that's exactly the way I look at it today. Who the fuck's he is? You know, I, uh, so that's uh, that's not your name by any means, correct? Hey, Dale's my middle name. Oh, it's your middle name. That's right. my name. So uh, why, well, why the change? Sure it was when I well when I went to Florida the first time. Oh, Eddie Graham says I can't have another Dusty in here. Dusty had just left. Gotcha. And All so right. I said, well, just use my middle name, my middle name, Dale, because it's just I know the answer to it. Uh, not very you know, I, Up to that point, if I heard my middle name, I was in trouble. But I knew it was mine, right? So anyway, uh, then when I got to New York, I'm eighty nine. Pat comes in at TV one time at, at catering. And, uh, we're gonna have to change your name. I said, What did I do to pitch? Dusty was there, right? What's just coming yeah. in? And I said, You don't think they can tell the difference between me and him? <laughs> and Pat's like, That's not the point. It's like, Okay, just use my middle name. I've had to do this, you know, five, six years before this in Florida. So just use my middle name. They did that to a lot of people because they don't think people are smart enough to tell the difference. Yeah, yeah, just, and I, was, I didn't bother with Eddie. I was too, I was too young and too green and too scared to, to, to ask that question with Eddie. But with Pat, I'm like, I've been doing jobs all these years. He's been over for all these years. They're not going to know the difference, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Just keep paying me as long as you put the barrier in front of everything. I'm good because that's the only way I can cash these checks. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I want to thank you for coming on here today. I appreciate it. It's, it's and, fun to visit a little bit. Yeah, this is fun. I always uh, enjoy talking to people such as yourself. I so, appreciate it. Uh, where could the people find you? Oh, I'm on Twitter, Rancho Wolf, uh, and then I'm on Facebook. Uh, I warn folks, I'm not MAGA, so if that was, when I do my Never Trump and he could kiss my ass thing, if it makes him mad, don't bother. Otherwise, I'm more than find me. Say hello. But that's that's it. Those are the two social medias I have. And I, every once in a while, I've had one of them jump up in there because I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm the exact opposite of most people. I turned more liberal as I got older. And I made a few friends bad. <laughs> you know, like, oh, well. You know, but that's the only warning I have about my social media. Otherwise, look me up. I'm there. I'm on it every day. That's my diversion sometimes when I'm doing all the grading and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, hopefully, sure. maybe we can have you back someday. Just let me know. Wrestling fans, promoters, wrestlers, and anyone who enjoys pro wrestling now have something new to be excited about. The Wrestling Fans International Association, the WFIA, is back. WFIA is an association that exists to promote, grow, and support professional wrestling throughout the world. Membership is free. Your membership includes a free, digital, bi-monthly publication of the Wrestling Fan News Newsletter, association updates, voting privileges, and much more. Please go to thewfia.org, that's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org, and become a member today.